We are in the Advent series. This is the second week. Um, and what we are doing this Advent season is we're walking through uh, just four iconic aspects of the nativity and looking at the symbolism and the connection to Christ. Uh, last week, Nick uh, opened us up by looking at uh, the lineage of Christ, which is the tree, the family tree, and how that since the beginning, Satan has uh, tried to thwart that plan from God to bring to us a Messiah. And the birth of Christ uh, is essentially God's announcement of victory, right? I won. All your attempts to take out uh, this lineage have failed, and God has prevailed with the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the shepherds and the role of the shepherd. And so um, earlier in the service read from Luke 2, really on, one of my favorite parts of the nativity story where this angel appears to these shepherds, okay? And they're out, it's nighttime, they're out somewhere um, out in, the, uh, in no man's land with a bunch of sheep and this angel appears to make this announcement right, that the Messiah, the Christ has been born, and then all of a sudden there's this host, this choir of angels singing and worshiping God, and I love the imagery of that scene. I always walk away from that part of the nativity with this question in my mind, why, why shepherds? Like, why not somebody of, like, nobility, somebody who had a, had a, had a, had a louder voice in the culture? Why these guys who live by themselves out in the middle of nowhere? And, uh, and I don't know the answer to that question. But I think there is something here to think about. So just to kind of give us some context for where we're going today. The, the, the role of the shepherd in the first century culture was a really kind of unique position or vocation. And, and I've tried to think about some modern day comparisons, and, and it's hard. But the closest I can think of would be the oil field, okay? And so in, in, in the oil field, um, right, there, there's, a, there's a, a few who kind of define the characterization of the whole. And so, right, it's those who work in the oil field are kind of classified as a certain type of person, but it's not true, right? The, right? And so, like, the same thing is true of shepherds. Like, there were, there were some rough shepherds. Right? There was some rough crew, right? But, but the, the characterization of the few kind of became the characterization of the whole, and so it wasn't a noble vocation. But not only that, they went out for weeks and months at a time, right, without bathing, without seeing anybody, just coming in every once in a while for supplies and to take a bath and to go right back out. Again, a lot like oil field. If you know anybody who works in the oil field, right, they're gone for weeks, sometimes months, and then they come back home regroup for just a little bit, and just as soon as they start to get acclimated, they're gone again. And, and so that's the closest I could think of to kind of a modern day expression of the shepherd. Some of them uh, quite rough around the edges. But that being said, there was a unique characteristic of the shepherd that made a shepherd a good shepherd. And this characteristic, I think, these characteristics were oftentimes overlooked. And the first one was this, that um, a shepherd was required to be courageous because of what they might come up against. There might be a time where they actually literally had to put their life in harm's way between the flock and danger. They had to be courageous. But, but not only that, a shepherd had to truly care for and love the sheep. Here's why. Sheep are hard to love. Okay, I don't know if you've ever raised sheep uh, I have raised two sheep in my life. So I was in 4-H when I was a young man. 
Mom thought this would be good for me. And so in 4-H, you have to have a project, an animal or something. And so I was going to raise a sheep. My first sheep's name was Maverick. And, uh, and he, he lived up to that name. Very rebellious, very stubborn. But the thing about sheep that I learned is this. Sheep are not smart animals. They really need somebody else to think for them. Like they are not smart animals. Not only that, they're in incredibly skittish and skeptical, which means they're easily scared, but it's really hard to settle them down and earn their trust. Very cautious creatures, and so you have to be so quiet when you're in the pen with them. You can't startle them or make any sudden movement or noise because they'll freak out and they're gone. But they were dumb. I used to have to teach Maverick (coughs) how to find his water. True story. Like you'd see him over there panting in in the side of the pen, you're like, buddy, you look thirsty. And he's like, just need some water. And like, well, hey, buddy, come here. The water, see that bucket on the ground that has the clear wet stuff in it? That's water. Remember we did this yesterday and you drank and he's like, oh, this is so good. And then the next day, right, the sheep's like, well, where's the water? It's, it's in the round thing with the wet stuff in it. That's the water. Like, he was just dumb, right? So Anytime thunder would clap in the air, he'd freak out and go running through the fence and get all cut up and hurt. And, and so my job was to keep Maverick alive. I had to think for Maverick. Well, this is, this is true for sheep. And so where that brings us back to shepherds is that for a shepherd to really be a good shepherd, they had to be patient. And try being patient with somebody you don't care for. It's hard. And so the shepherds were these unique, courageous, kind of rough and tough individuals that had this compassionate side, this love for the sheep that compelled them, right, to go back out. Imagine living with sheep for like three months and then coming back home and getting a bath and a warm meal and getting a break from the smell of the sheep pen and then something compels you to go back. What? It's the love for the sheep. And so these shepherds, while mischaracterized, really had some characteristics to be admired. They were brave, they were courageous, they cared for the sheep. There's another characteristic, and it had to do with the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. In order to be a good shepherd, the sheep had to trust you, which means you had to be trustworthy. If you ever took advantage of the sheep, right, if you ever, if you ever led them into harm's way, you're done. They're never gonna trust you again. So that shepherd had to have this kind of heart that was willing to earn the trust of the sheep. Well, we go back to the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, and what's interesting is that so many of the Old Testament prophecies are dripping with this imagery of sheep and shepherd. We go back to Isaiah 53, a fairly familiar passage, starting in verse four. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And listen to these words. Surely he, the Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now, what we're reading is this description of the brutality of the suffering of this Messiah, that he would come into our lives, into our story, uh, but he wouldn't come in as this victorious ruler, he would come in as a suffering servant. 
And this description of what he would endure was, endure was incredibly brutal, and we say, wow, why would, you, why would you do that? And then verse six tells us, here's why, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So two things, one, what we learn about sheep is that we are prone to go our own way. We're rebellious by nature, right? We're prone not to trust the shepherd, to think we know what's best, to go our own way. And the second thing we see from this is there's this intimate relationship between the brutality and the suffering of the shepherd and the what? The sin and the iniquity of the sheep. That what he's going to endure is intimately connected with you and I and our going astray. Here's just a summary. In order for the sheep to find the peace and the healing that they long for, this coming Messiah must bear grief, carry sorrow, be pierced, be crushed, and be wounded. Why? Because we're like sheep and we've gone astray. That's, that's, the, that's the book of Isaiah. You go to the book of Micah, chapter five. You find an, an interesting uh, description of the coming Messiah. And so we'll read a couple verses from Micah 5, but a little background. Um, In this passage, Bethlehem is going to be mentioned. But at this point in time, Bethlehem is a a nothing small little rural community, okay? It's kind of strange that the name of this community would even come up at all. So we think of Bethlehem with the nativity and Jesus being born, and man, it's this glorious place. But honestly, it was this little dirt road, back road, rural community that nobody knew about. Two times in the Old Testament when the, when the clans of Judah are mentioned and according to their cities, Bethlehem isn't even mentioned, right? So like I, I grew up in Weatherford, right? Which is a fairly known town, which is now a city. But my last two years of high school, I went to a small town outside of Weatherford that you may or may not heard, heard of, Millsap. Anybody? Millsap, you've heard of Millsap, okay. Now, there's a really good chance, though, unless you've been to Millsap or lived in Millsap, you've never heard of Bennett. Bennett's the small, little, off-the-beaten-path community down along the Brazos River that has an Acme brick plant in it. Unless you've been there, you've probably never even heard of it. Right? And that's how Bethlehem is uh, in the Bible. It's this small, rural, dirt road, off-the-beaten-path place, which is the least likely of places for the Messiah to be born, right? We expect the Messiah to be born in Dallas or Austin or New York or LA, somewhere that has a a platform to make him known. And and then we read in Micah chapter five, listen to this, verse two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which was another name for Bethlehem, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. What a a beautiful description of the nativity. Even though Bethlehem, you're so small and such an unlikely place, it is from Bethlehem that the Messiah will come. But listen to this. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Verse four, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. 
and he shall be their peace. There's a lot in this. But a couple things, though, that I want to point out. As this passage begins to describe this coming Messiah, uh, he's, he's compared to what? A shepherd who will do what? Stand for his people. Right, so this coming Messiah will be like a shepherd who stands for his flock or his people in the strength of the Lord. And they shall dwell secure. So something about this Messiah will provide security for the flock. But not only that, he shall be great. Great where? To the ends of the earth. Which is, that's a New Testament phrase, isn't it? Like, that's Acts 1.8. When Jesus says what? Hey, guys, I'm leaving, but my Holy Spirit is coming upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, where? The ends of the earth. My Holy Spirit's gonna come on you in power, and you're gonna go as my ambassadors, my witnesses, and you're gonna proclaim my name to the ends of the earth. So you can see in Acts 1-8 this fulfillment of this beautiful, rich prophecy. But what I love most about it is the beginning of verse five. And he shall be their peace. Now, what's gonna happen from here in Micah is that we're gonna be told that in order to establish this peace for us, for his people, that he's gonna take on all of our enemies and he's gonna win. And that's how he's gonna establish peace for us. But what I love about it is, is how it's worded. He's not going to bring us peace. He's going to be our peace. Think about that, right? So Jesus didn't come to bring us gifts. He came to be our gift, right? He didn't just come to, to give peace away and say, have fun with that. Well, he came to do what? Call us to himself. He is our peace, and this is all embedded in this prophecy from Micah that he will come as a shepherd and stand for his people. His name will be famous to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Jesus is gonna make this public announcement about himself that I think is, is helpful for us. So in John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, Jesus is speaking, and, and listen to what he says. Feel the weight of this. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now that is such a powerful phrase. Before we even get to the symbolism of what that means, what Jesus is saying is like, everything promised by God, everything pr prophesied about the coming Messiah, I'm him. I'm the good shepherd that Micah was talking about. Right? I'm the good shepherd that Isaiah was talking about who lays his life down and suffers for what? The sake of his sheep. It's gonna be by my wounds that you will be healed. My chastisement. I'm the one who's gonna be crushed. I'm the one who's gonna be pierced. For who? For the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now I say interesting thing for Jesus to call himself. Because again, in this culture and day and time, the first thought would have been, Right, what? The rough crowd. Shepherds, shepherds. Well, those are those guys that go out for months at a time, leave their family, have no family. That's a rough bunch of guys. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to think of me like a shepherd. But not just a shepherd, a good shepherd. Now, remember what we talked about earlier about being a good shepherd, right? To be a good shepherd, you have to have courage. You have to be willing to put yourself between the flock and danger. Right? There had to be something about you that was trustworthy, uh, this, this 
care and this compassion that allows you to be patient with the sheep. Because why? Because they're each going to try to go their own way. Constantly. <laughs> right? There's this constant effort to bring them back together. Bring them back together. Don't go your own way. It leads to danger. You'll get slaughtered out there. There are wolves lingering in the darkness just waiting for one to leave. And the good shepherd does what? He says, no, stay here. Constantly around the clock caring for the sheep. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. I'm a good shepherd. Now, the rest of what we're gonna read is gonna give us some insight into what that means that Jesus is the good shepherd. He continues, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12 says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is saying there's a distinction between a shepherd and a hired hand. Now sometimes the flock gets so big you gotta hire people to come help you. You need some hired hands to throw out hay and to help right, round up the sheep and those sorts of things. But there's a difference between a shepherd and a hired hand. What's the difference? In the midst of danger, what does the hired hand do? Dude, I'm out, peace. Right, but the good shepherd stays and fights to the end even if it costs him what? His life. That's what a good shepherd does. Why does a good shepherd do that? He says right there, the that the hired hand flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The shepherd cares. As irritating as sheep can be, as trying as they can be, as dumb as they can be, as rebellious as they can be, the shepherd actually cares about them. He cares so much that he will stay to the last breath. He will fight for them. He will protect them. He will give up everything to keep the sheep alive. That's what a good shepherd does. In Matthew chapter nine, we get this, this moment where Jesus sees a crowd of people. And I don't know what you think of when you see a crowd of people, but in this particular moment, when Jesus saw the crowd of people, in, in 936 of, of the Gospel of Matthew, we read this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like what? Sheep without a shepherd. See, that's how Jesus sees us. There's this constant harassment from the enemy. Right? There's this constant danger that there's a wolf lingering in the darkness just waiting to slip out of the shadows and snatch another sheep and then go back to the shadows. So Jesus sees the people, he has compassion on them. Back to John 10, verse 14, Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. Not a hired hand, not just a shepherd, I'm a good shepherd. And here's how I am a good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now let's stop for a minute. The relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is, is really critical to success because see the shepherds oftentimes work together. I think that's what was happening in Luke 2. You've got multiple shepherds, which means you have multiple flocks. That's all fine and dandy during the day. They're all out grazing on the hillside, just scattered about and they moved the whole group of them down to the watering hole, but at nighttime, the sheep had to return to their pen. How do they know? How do you separate the sheep back out? Well, each shepherd would call his sheep by his voice. Have you ever been around cattle who kind of learn? They hear the voice of the rancher who makes the cow call, and they remember, oh wait, if I follow that voice, it leads me to what is good, and so I'm going. 
And so at the end of the day, the shepherds, each individual would call their own flock back to themselves and lead them into the safety and security of the sheep pen. And this is what Jesus is talking about. I am a good shepherd. I, I know my own and my own know me. Now, listen to what he says next. He's gonna describe the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep, which means he's describing the relationship between him as our savior and us as his people, okay? I want you to listen to this. He says, just as the father knows me and I know the father. Jesus is comparing his relationship to you, the intimacy of how you know him, to the way that the father knows the son and the son knows the father. That's how intimately he wants to be made known to you. Right, so God is not this far off, ambiguous, pixie dust deity who we occasionally refer to as the man upstairs or the higher power or God. God says, no, I wanna be known intimately. I want you to know my name. I want you to know what my voice sounds like. Like I want you to know me the same way I know the Father. See, that's the only way shepherding works. Sheep had to be able to recognize the voice of their shepherd and follow it regardless of where it led, trusting what? That voice leads me to good things. And Jesus says, I want you to know my voice that well, that amidst all the voices of the culture around you, all the things tugging on you, all the lies coming at you, through it all, you'll recognize a voice, you'll say, I know that voice. I know it, it's trustworthy. I can follow that voice. The end of verse 15 says, once again, and I lay my life, they down my life for the sheep. And then verse 16 says, and I love this verse, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Okay, just to give you some help here, Jesus is now referring to the Jews and the Gentiles. So he's primarily, as he talks about these messianic prophecies, talking to the Jews. Because if they had done their homework, they were familiar with the prophecies. Okay? But he's saying, listen Jews, you aren't my only sheep. I've got some more sheep who aren't of this fold. Look at what he says. And I must bring them also. Well, how are you gonna do that? And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is referring to the gospel going out right here. The voice of our Savior going out to the ends of the earth, drawing Jews and Gentiles alike together as one flock. Like that's, if you are here today and you are a Christian, it's because of that verse. Your savior, right? Like a good shepherd has called to you. Come be a part of my flock. Come be a part of my, my sheep. But Jesus, sheep are messy and dumb. Yeah. You may have to lay your life down for them. I know. Why would you do that? Because I love them. I love them. I must bring them also. They'll listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus calls to us like a good shepherd. He says, come to me and you'll find rest. Come to me, you'll find peace. Come to me and you'll find grace and forgiveness. Come to me, follow my voice and you'll find restoration and healing. Come to me and you'll find hope. You'll find security, protection for your souls. Come to me and you'll find salvation. Follow my voice and not the other voices you hear. They'll lead you into danger, they'll lead you astray. Come to me. 
Now verse 17 and 18 is where Jesus takes this illustration of the shepherd and the sheep and he, and he sets himself apart and shows us how he's different from just a good average shepherd. Look at this with me, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Stop, we've already heard him say that twice. Where are you going with this, Jesus? We know it. you're a good shepherd, you lay down your life. But look at what he says now. For this reason, Father loves me because I lay my life, lay down my life that I may do what? Take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father, and this is what distinguishes Jesus from the basic illustration of just being a shepherd. Because any good shepherd could lay his life down for the sheep put himself between the flock and a wolf, and die, right? That's a good thing to do. But what happens the next day? The sheep are left without a shepherd, right? He can only give his life once. And what Jesus is saying is this, listen, I didn't just get caught between the flock and the, and the wolf. I went out into the field, and I called the wolf out of darkness. I didn't die because I lost to the wolf. I laid my life down willingly before the wolf. You seeing that? I laid it down on my own authority. Just because I died for you does not mean that I lost. I chose to die so that what? So I could take it back up again. So our Savior leaves the sheep pen and steps out into the dangers of the field. He knows the wolf is out there. He's been lingering in the shadows since the fall. And he calls the wolf out of the darkness and says, come on, toe to toe, eye to eye, face to face. And rather than fighting in that moment, which he could have done, he says, here, take me. And he lays his life down for the sheep. And what Jesus is saying is, here's what sets me apart. I did that by my authority, not because I lost to the wolf. And you'll know that it wasn't because I lost to the wolf, because watch what happens on the third day. By my authority, I'm gonna take it back up again. And that's a good shepherd. Right? What good is a shepherd that gives his life for the sake of the sheep but isn't there the next day? Because what's gonna happen the next day? The wolf's gonna come again and scatter the sheep and they're done for. And Jesus says, you can find eternal security in me because I'll be there the next day. Even though my life was laid down for the sheep, I will take it back up again. I was talking with a good friend this week about um, the nuances between Christianity and other religions, even some of the similar religions of like um, Judaism and, uh, and Islam that have a lot of similarities, all kind of rooting their way back to Abraham. And I was answering the question, what makes Christianity different? I said, here's the kingpin of Christianity. It's the resurrection. Because that's what forces you to do something with Jesus. Right, because even Judaism looks at Jesus and says, man, that's a pretty good teacher. Well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures, great rabbi, but rabbis don't raise from the dead, do they? Right, even the nation of Islam will look at Jesus and say, man, what a prophet. Man, a powerful teacher, had a great following. But teachers don't resurrect from the dead. And so what Jesus is talking about here is really the kingpin that sets Christianity apart from any other faith or religion. We have a good shepherd who was willing, not just willing, but in his authority, laid his life down for the sheep on purpose that he might do what? Take it back up again. You see, that's what sets Jesus apart from just a rabbi or a good teacher. 
And Jesus says, this is what I received from my father. This is what my dad told me to do for you. Now I want to end here with just a quick reference to Peter. We don't have time to do a full bio on Peter, but just to say it this way, of all the disciples who could have been compared to a sheep, Peter was, right, public figure number one. Constantly sticking his foot in his mouth, doing dumb stuff over and over and over again. Even the denial of Jesus at the cross happened more than once, right? Happened three times, right? So if any disciples could be compared to a sheep, Peter was first on the list, right? But what's so beautiful about the story of Peter is after, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter. You remember what he says to, to Peter? Hey, Peter, yeah, you love me? <laughs> you know I love you, Lord. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go feed my sheep. But he didn't just ask him once, did he? Hey, Peter, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I got another question for you. Yeah, yeah, what is it, Jesus? Do you love me? Wait, didn't you just ask me that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. But then he asked him a third time, Peter, do you really love me? Peter's like, yeah, you know it. I love you. I need you to go feed my little lambs. And what, Peter, what Jesus was saying to Peter is, if you love me, you'll love what I love. Peter, I love you. Even though you're clumsy and kind of dumb, spiritually speaking, but it's okay, because I love sheep, and you are one. And I need you to go love what I love. Go love the sheep. Now, Peter, fast forward several years. Now he's a leader in the church. Listen to his words, and this is in 1 Peter chapter two, and we'll end with this. Talking about Jesus, the one who said, Peter, do you love me? Peter writes, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's not just familiar. He's quoting Isaiah 53. He's saying, listen, Jesus is the Messiah who came to brutally lay his life down and it's by his wounds that we have been healed. And look at what his very next verse says, verse 25, for you were straying like sheep. And Peter was an expert on being a straying sheep. You were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I wanna leave you with one question today and I'm gonna ask you for a favor. Please don't be quick to answer this question or to quickly dismiss it. Have you truly heard the voice of the good shepherd and responded in faith? There is a difference between following the voice of the shepherd versus following the sheep in front of you. Both might lead you to church. Both might lead you to this religious experience, but only one leads you to salvation. Right, and, and, our, and, our, and our churches, this is not just of today, but historically have been full of people, right? Sheep following sheep. And Jesus says, don't come to sh- church because you're following sheep. 
Don't sing the, the good Christian songs because the sheep are singing the songs. I want you to hear my voice and I want you to come to me. And I just want you to take a moment to think about that. Have you truly heard the voice of the good shepherd calling your name? Come to me and you will find rest for your soul. That's salvation. And you won't get there simply by just doing what sheep do, and following sheep. And so I wanna pray for us today. If you're here today and you're like me, you fit into the category of I've been a Christian for a while, then there's a good chance you're also like me in that your heart is prone, is prone to forget things that matter, right? And so my hope for you today in re-hearing the story of the good shepherd, hearing once again that Jesus has come to be your good shepherd, my hope for you is that the Holy Spirit would stir your affections for Jesus, that this Christmas season would truly be a season of worship. But if you're here today and you have never responded to the voice of the good shepherd, my prayer for you is that you would hear it today and you would respond in faith. You say, you know what, I'm ready to follow wherever you lead. I'm ready to tune out the voices, the culture around me, the voices in my own head, and just follow the voice of Jesus. And if that's you, I, I hope and I pray you'll make a decision to follow Christ today, to trust in him and him alone for your salvation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful um, illustration of your heart for us. Jesus, you truly are the good shepherd. And we just confess that we are more like sheep than we want to admit. We are spiritually clumsy. We are spiritually forgetful. We're spiritually rebellious. God, each of us is prone to go his or her own way. That's why we need to hear your voice. Jesus, call us to yourself. Help us, God, to hear the voice of the good shepherd leading us home. And just, Jesus, I pray today that if there's anybody who does not know you the way you just described for us in John 10, that today would be the day that, that that person would hear your voice, take a step of faith, and trust in you. God, I pray you would stir our affections for you. As we see you as a good shepherd who lays down your life willingly for us, in that we see this indescribable love, this unconditional love. God, I pray you would stir our affection for you. This morning we pray in Jesus' powerful name.